0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
0: Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are joined by someone who reaches hundreds of thousands of fans and has millions of views online. He's talking about golf instruction, and of course, equipment. One thing you can be certain of, he is going to share his opinion, whether you like it or not. But how did we get here? And where is the viral world of golf headed next? Let's take a look as golf instructor and online personality, Mark Crossfield, joins us here on the range. Mark, it is great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into golf because you got into golf early, but maybe not as early as some may have preferred.
1: Yeah, I started as a 12-year-old, so relatively early. My dad tried to start me earlier, but football as in, you know, the one where you use your foot, the UK football, was, um, was what I wanted to do, basically. And then at 12 onwards, golf just got hooked, never stopped playing, really.
0: And where did you start playing? On a full-size course or, or a smaller course? No,
1: so yeah, I started on what we would call a pitch and putt, so a par-free course, mm-hmm. which I could walk to from where I lived. And I literally would just go there and go round, around, around. around. I, my dad was a left-handed golfer, so I used to wear his right-handed glove upside down on my left hand, like just to look like a golfer and stuff. Um, and then my dad played, so when he saw that I just wanted, you know, I was as was keen. We actually moved to where I live now in Devon, and we both joined a new golf course. And I just went every day and played as much as I could. Really, I was hooked.
0: I didn't start playing till I was 24. Yeah. And the first course was also a par 3 pitch and putt course and yet in that first round it just clicks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is this is something that I love.
1: Yeah, it was I just got addicted. I got addicted to wanting to hit like you know you'd hit a good shot and I wanted to hit more. Like if I can hit one I can hit them all good. Like it was that cuz you never win at golf. It was that desire to keep getting better that was just so attractive like i loved that personal battle and it wasn't a team game it was all on me you know i loved the fact that it was up to me to work harder to be better or not that i loved that it was all on me the logical step
0: uh, as you grow up and become an adult as you became a professional yep. and you did that actually at a fairly early age
1: yeah i was um 19 or 20 i think i turned pro um I kind of played up till then and then I was getting kind of frustrated with playing. It was a lot of traveling. It was tough. Um, So I really loved understanding what made me play better or worse. So coaching was such a natural progression for me. It was something that I was really, really interested in. So as soon as I turned pro, everything then was about trying to, um, be the best coach i could be really just trying to understand everything i didn't ever want to be in a room and not really of my peers and not really understand what any of them was talking about you know i wanted to always know what was being taught what were the ideas so that became kind of the passion more than playing then
0: when you do that of course you're going to probably come across competing philosophies and strategies that you've got to sort out yourself and create your own
1: style yeah absolutely you do I guess I was quite lucky as well because I was very much as well I mean not for all of my career plenty of it was was in what I would call old school coaching but in those days it was more like you were doing your miles you know what I mean like a pilot does coaching when you're learning is is you you need knowledge and that's important but it's also about you need to meet every golfer you've got to be doing a lot of different lessons you've got to meet someone who's never played golf or even seen it and try and teach them. And then you've got to meet a guy or a girl who plays three times a week and wants to get on tour. Like you, those days was more about, you just, you just put your head down and meet as many golfers as you can to learn what works for your different categories, if you like, of players. And then obviously what happened in my coaching career as well is measuring devices came along, launch monitors and what have you. So the, um, even though the debates still are there and they were there, they weren't really debates. They they became less of debates because they could be quantified with measurement. So they were early debates amongst people who weren't maybe moving with the times and didn't want to measure like mm-hmm. you know, so the amount of debates I used to see and still do that. I think can't believe people are still debating that. Like that's been proven as X, Y, or Z. That's the fact that they're still debating that is funny because it's not a debate anymore amongst people who are trying to keep up so i was lucky as well because technology stepped in and was you know allowed me to quantify what i was doing wrong and what i was doing right which i was like uber excited by that was just i love that that we could measure um people were paying money and i can quantify with real data what's going to make them better or worse that was brilliant
0: I've talked with, with club builders from back in the day where, you know, it went from being an art to something where they could make it into a science where they could really show, look, this is why this club is going to be better for you than what you're currently hitting. Was it all that you had hoped it would be? Is that kind of teaching? Or, I mean, that's that seems like a lot. It seems like, you know, as you're, say, getting your miles, it takes its toll.
1: Yeah, so I, it was quite interesting because that's what made me change direction with my career into content and other online activities. Um, I achieved my goal. My goal was to be the busiest coach I could be. Um, and I probably was one of the busiest coaches in the country because where well, I was. I was in London, so the, the amount of uh, chimney pots and people who wanted to learn in the area, we were... I mean, I was doing nightly lessons a week And I achieved the goal, what I wanted to be, the best coach I could be. And I realized it was making me a bit upset because I was so busy. I wasn't able to do any of my, well, any thoughts or ideas I was having. I just didn't have time to do any of them. I was just flat out being flat out. Um, so I learned once I achieved my goal and that was quite hard. Like you achieve your goal and you realize actually what I wanted to achieve was wrong. That shouldn't have been what I wanted to achieve. Um, but sometimes you have to go down a dead end and realize that there's a wall there to come back out. Don't you? Um, and I realized maybe I should get busy in other ways. So that's when I started to do other things and digress. So that was basically in line with moving to Devon as well. So I moved away from a very busy place, to a much quieter place Mm -hmm. where, you actually have to work hard to get a good amount of lessons in Devon because there's a lot of pros and not as many people um so that gave me more time then to turn the camera on and start talking to it and play with editing ideas that I've always enjoyed doing and trying to tell stories to trying to tell what I'm learning through lessons to a much wider audience so it, it was it was a nice progression. I had to get that crazy busy to realize that I didn't want to be that crazy busy because yeah. there was you know there were sessions. Friday afternoon or evening, six o'clock onwards, I've said this many times before, you wouldn't want to have that lesson. I was burnt, done, gone. Right. Like if you were that golfer coming to me struggling to hit the ball in the air there, I was like digging deep to care at that point. I was so burnt um from a busy week. So I used to do those lessons and just say I don't want to be this coach. I don't wanna be that coach who's hands in pockets, looking at the clock as you do doing <laughs> lessons. I want every person to come to be as exciting as the first one of the day, um, which was nice. It was nice to move away from that and diversify a bit.
0: When you started doing video, did you have an idea of things that you wanted to share? Like that, you know, do you remember what some of the early ideas were that you were like, I really think that this is, that this is something that people should hear or see.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the ideas have never really changed, to be honest. So my first ever video I did was how to grip the golf club. And I could do that video tomorrow and it would still get good interaction Mm -hmm. because... You know, it, it's there's people coming out of video who've like watched too many, and then there's plenty coming in the other end, and they mm-hmm. haven't watched the video I did 12 years ago, which is four by three and awful quality because that's where the cameras were then.
0: <laughs> I know,
1: <And laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can just keep, you know, that that so that that video never ever goes away. I, I wanted to make content and put it in a place. Because obviously when I started 12 years ago, YouTube wasn't what it is now. Right. Certainly no, I same in the, thing. In the golf spectrum, it was, it was a place to host videos. Um, it was not monetarized. There was never talk of it being monetized. It was still very the freemium model. Um, you know, I never started it to make money or wanted it to be about money. It was started because I wanted to put, I would get a lot of people coming for lessons who needed to be shown how to grip the club. And I wanted to have them to have something to reference when they went home. So I didn't have to tell them on the lesson two. Right. And if I did have to tell them on lesson two, I would say, did you not watch the video and practice? Because you can do that at home. So it, gave them, it mm-hmm. gave them accountability as well. And then, you know, in my diary, I can work out the ones who are willing to try, the ones who aren't. And then I can try and swap them out for more people who are going to go home and practice those kind of ideas. So I wanted to put content out there that I could like, you know things that were reoccurring in lots of lessons. These are patterns I'm seeing. I'm going to do videos about those patterns. And then, right, you, you've got a grip lesson today. Peter, Al, John, or whoever comes to a lesson, I want you to, here's a link to a video. If you can't remember what we talked about, it's all in there for you. So when you come back next week, it's fixed. I was also selling, I had a website selling golf equipment. Okay. So it was also a good way of answering the many questions I had about, I was club fitting and um coaching at the time because that's what club pros do in the UK they kind of do a bit of everything um so I also wanted to answer the many you know how many times can someone ask me which is the higher launching iron between a bladed and a cavity back like I, I don't want to have to keep answering that question over and over again so I thought I'd do a video on that there'll be people coming to me with those answers because they'll see that video and they'll come and say, Oh, you said this one's high launch. Can I test it? Yeah, cool. Let's get straight to the point. Let's not muck around with those MP seven irons and go up to your, you know, JPX straight away. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was always for me, which it still is a case of sharing what I know in a, in a way to get people to then sort out more specialized, um, help. I, 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 my videos have never been about trying to fix anything. They're more about here's some ideas. Go and see your pro and you right. know, work on them because nothing, nothing substitutes a one-to-one lesson. Like I was doing some testing with some amateurs on a new driver that's coming out today. All three of them were leaving such cheap, low-hanging fruit fixes on the table with the old equipment they had to simple swing moves they made. You know, it was just so interesting to watch them test a new driver. It was like well, this driver's minimal if this guy's in sixth down, what it can do. Um, like mm-hmm. if I can just get him in level or one up, which I could do with one sentence, he's finding 15 yards where
0: right.
1: testing the driver old to new, he's not finding any difference. He's just looking at his inconsistencies when he skies one minutes, one out the top minutes, it's one out the bottom. Um, so it is always a case of putting out what I know in a way that would inspire people to go and have lessons. Um, and that was quite interesting at the time as well because some pros when I started years ago got a little upset because it's like you're giving it away for free. Why are you giving it away for free? And then over the years, that, very, that changed massively. I used to get messages and still do from pros going, you know, thanks so much. I get people coming for lessons with me because they've watched your video and they're asking me questions. Right? And I just think that's brilliant. That's why I want them. don't think my video is the answer. My video is almost the start of a good conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you should go and have that with a professional that relates to you or not um so that's never changed from the start
0: really it opens the door to people's just thinking about what they're doing so that they know oh this isn't just grabbing a club and hitting it yeah that there there is actually thought involved you know it's funny because you started because you had that you wanted to share i started the golf spotlight in 2005 i was a 15 16 handicap yeah so i knew that what i thought about clubs didn't matter But as somebody who had worked in sports media, that I could talk to the manufacturers in an interview sense and just say, "Okay, what are you trying to tell people? Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough to determine if it's any good, but at least I can say this is what the message is. And then you as a consumer can take that to your professional and determine whether it's right or not. And at that time, uh, living in Florida, that was the time that lightweight poly shirts started to come out and to me it was more important actually than clubs was to share the idea to guys in their 60s and 70s that are sweating their life away on the course (laughs) you know you can put a you can put on a poly shirt and actually be comfortable out here it's
1: interesting it's interesting you say that i've said this before and i was actually thinking it the other day one of the biggest developments in the last 10-15 years in golf is the clothes because Mm um you know i if you just wear those cotton shirts, I mean, I've been to Florida many times. I-, I wouldn't even begin to wear a cotton shirt. I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> like it's just not going to survive. Right. Seven on in the evening and sitting situations, I'm like putting one on. When I've gone to Florida before, I have plastic shirts ready for mm-hmm. every second of that day. Otherwise, you are just on a golf course. Yeah, the developments in golf clothes has been huge over the years. I think. Again, I mean, it's just one of the
0: many aspects that there is of, of coupling a player with their game, with their surroundings, with their... I mean, people talk about the the grind on a wedge and how that matters and where you play. Well, so does everything about what you're wearing from your feet to your head.
1: Yeah, totally. I've been watched, looking at some studies recently on the different shoes effect on different golfers, because I've just got a swing catalyst 3D force plate, and you can totally see some patterns in certain soles for certain people who use pressures in certain ways, how that like, one shoe would not help and what another one would. It's minimal gains, like your average you know, 15 handicap, 20 handicap golfer who's just playing for fun, don't care what shoes you wear, but if you actually want to you know, look at every part of your performance, looking down to the shoes, there's gains to be had at every part.
0: Was there an aha moment when you realized that your content was really reaching a wide audience and that it was something that was really worth putting a little extra attention towards?
1: There wasn't really. Well, there kind of wasn't, there wasn't. So analytics on YouTube has changed massively as the platform has developed to where it is now, where it's very much now a game of using your analytics and trying to dial into audiences um, with certain kind of tricks. It's not so much about the content anymore, unfortunately. It's much more about what you can do with massaging the changing algorithm constantly really which is a shame so in earlier times on youtube analytics were scarce and people didn't even really look at them because they didn't understand what they were Mm -hmm. um it was a gradual growth and i i've never had anything to compare it to i've got more to compare it to now because there are channels far bigger than mine Um, you know, so you've got more of a comparison now. Back in those, there was no comparison because it was basically, there's probably three or four years where it was just me who was kind of committing to making content on YouTube as a platform. And then when others came, because I started earlier, they were so far behind. You couldn't, there was no comparison, really. It was, they were very different sizes. Um, And lots of those people have gone on to become lots bigger, which is, you know, good for them and great. Um, But so for me, there was a moment where I kept, I kept, I called it, I kept feeding the beast. So I kept pushing the beast more and it kept growling back. So then I would give it some more and give it some more because I was a full-time coach and a medium full-time content creator. So basically I ran Mm -hmm. two full-time jobs. Like most people who start a business, you know, they just, you work like crazy at the start and make it work because you got to pay the bills, but you got this new idea that's not paying. And so you're going to try and push it. Mm And you could see the scale slowly kind of evening up. So YouTube started to pay and then they started to pay similar to what I was coaching. So it was like, okay, well, I can't keep working two full time jobs. One's going to have to go back. So I pushed YouTube a bit harder and that money went up, but doing that, uh, the coaching money would go down because I didn't have the time. So there was, I remember there was a time when I spoke to a couple of colleagues was like, you know, I could do this full time. I could do this as a job Um, but it was never an intention it was just so gradual because I mean I was basically in the golf sector on YouTube I was kind of before the growth to watching it grow to now what it is this massive thing where so many genres of audience just do use YouTube for its content and search engine now Um, that was never where it was where I started it's it's very interesting to watch it change
0: I know exactly what you're talking about because I think I've been on twelve years as well. And and in the early years, it didn't matter what I put up, it got views. Mm. Now there are certain areas where I get views, and there's are certain areas where so many different creators are doing, you know, and when when the new drivers come out, everyone's doing a feature on those new drivers. Yeah, yeah. So of course I'm just one of a thousand op- options. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about new uh we used to talk about Cleveland Srix on when they're talking about smart soul wedges. How many people are talking about the smart soul? Yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it and it shows that I get people that tune in to see that because I'm talking about the clubs that they're actually hitting. Yeah. That 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 actually can help them become a better player. So it 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 is finding those little niches where you're you're providing something that's different. One area where you're very different is you will essentially take a viewer inside your foursome, your buddies as you go out and play and, and and so you kind of have a fifth right along uh that you know so that they can share that experience because sometimes it's just not possible to have that in a day and it 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 can just brighten up the day and and it, people love that
1: yeah 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 and it's fun to what i mean the we the just recently started doing the series where we play with a watcher a subscriber um and it's fun to get them on because the social media world is full of like it's very easy to tweet that you hit the ball 160 with a seven iron mm-hmm. i don't get many students who come through a 60 160, seven iron but they all seem to be hitting it that far on twitter so it's very it's fun to get some real students on and watch them um you know do the mistakes that the average joe makes watch the like the you know, the first guy we had on, he started fine. And it just, like it fell off. He just really struggled. And I just said to Matt afterwards, how many golfers um, have that? Like every three weeks of the month that they play, they play just where it's awful, awful, awful. And then all of a sudden it all clicks, you know, it's so real. And then we can share that with the audience. You know, it's, you're going to have bad rounds. It's how you cope with them. It's the skills that you have to try and cope with them. What you'll find if me and Matt have a bad round, we've got a few more skills to hook it around the tree and all those kind of things. So maybe it's a good idea to work on some of your recovery shots as well as trying to make your seven iron better. Cause you're going to have the same amount of, fairway seven irons as you are fairway length recovery shots so if you never practice recovery shots i'm going to beat you because i can play the recovery shot so Mm -hmm. it's not that i'm hitting more fairways i can i can miss more fairways but i've got a shot to recover i have you um so it allows the audience i think to see some real questions being asked which then i can work on trying to give some answers for people really
0: it's funny that you talk about that because i was going to talk about the fact of you don't just work on people's physical swings you work on their mental game and their approach to, you know i i like to call what you were describing the shame spiral where you just you just keep falling down the hole and you're just trying to just stop the slide and yeah sometimes it's just being able to when when you've blocked that shot off into the trees if you know how to hit that running pitch shot out that can brighten your whole day back up and you're back into a good place
1: a oh, 100%. I mean, the guy we had on, he was going to chip out sideways on an occasion and we and Matt would have been hitting it 150 yards forward from that position. He's coming out 20 yards forward. I would have gone 100 to 150 yards forward because I could keep it low and punch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to have a much better third shot from 80 yards out than he is from however far he has out 150, 160 yards out. It's you, you forget the bad shots if you keep making score. People are very quick to forget how bad their shots are if they're scoring on each hole. They seem to remember the bad shots. When they hit a bad one, chip out, hit another bad one, chip out and then pick up. It's the fact that you chipped out twice, not that you, you know, you're know, you going to hit bad shots, you're handicapped golfers. Um, you know, when I look at the stats that people send me, the amount of people missing 60% plus fairways, You know, they're hitting 30 or 40% max fairways, like they're only hitting at 220 and they're missing 60% of the fairways. Why are they not practicing it better out the rough? I see them at the range right. practicing every position under the sun because that's what they see the tall pros practice. Well, the tall pros are practicing that because they can play out the rough already. They don't have to practice that and they can hit a low cut, a low stinging draw, or a low cutting fade or a high one over. They don't need to practice them. They did all that when they were kids, they, they've got that skill. So they're on the range trying to perfect perfection. Um, you shouldn't be practicing like that. You should be practicing the shots you play. If you collect stats, I mean, it's amazing to see when I look at amateur stats, you know, they're not hitting many fairways. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think there's lots of very cheap gains for golfers if the content for them is just, unfortunately, the hardest thing is that the content people search for isn't actually always the best content for them.
0: No, that's true. And I mean, it's funny because you were just talking about, you know, the simple gains that are out there. I think the simplest gain is starts before the first T, choosing what T to play. If you play oh, yeah. the T that makes you happy, yeah. I mean, I I'm playing it now as well as I've ever played in my life, mm. and yet I went and played with someone, and they were saying, "Yeah, play it, play it. We're gonna play back here," and I'm like, "All right, yeah, I'll I'll do it to, for the social aspect, and but it's it, it doesn't make it more fun." No, I think
1: the RNA or USG, I think it was the RNA did a study on the T's people choose and Mm -hmm. they were all getting, there was a, you know, most were getting it wrong. Basically, you could, there's some really good, I I haven't got it at hand, but there's some good um, kind of guidelines on how far you hit your drive. You should play the course at like, so if you hit your drive 220 off the T, Mm -hmm. you should be playing the 6,000 yard T's. If you're hitting it 250, you could have a go at the 6,3 and if you hit Mm -hmm. it 300 yards, get on the 7,000 yard T's. Um, don't quote me on those numbers. I'm just, you know, it, it's, that's the idea. Um, And I just think, I just think, I just think pro shops should be doing that more. Right. Like, you know, how far do you do it? Even on the ranges, like what's your, what's your distance? Great. Right. You're going to be off this tee, right? You're going to be off this tee. Um, obviously it's a bit more complicated when you get split, um, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, abilities in groups, but I play mm-hmm. with my daughter. She doesn't play off the same tees as me, and we have right. plenty of fun. Um, it's doable. I think the male ego often is the little bit of the um, brick wall that people hit when, we, when you talk tee distances. The three people I, I was testing with today, all three of them, when I told, asked them how far they hit it, um, they all gave me their top end. They didn't give me their average. They gave right. me their top. So they were all telling me how far they can hit it. Well, I can hit it 285 in the air if I absolutely go for it, but I'm going to struggle to hit the planet. So that's not, But I don't hit it 280 <laughs> in the air. <laughs> um, and I just think that's a reoccurring pattern. That's a hard one to break down.
0: It's inherent in golf. I mean, that's what the handicap is. It's not about what you actually shoot. It's what you're capable of shooting. Yeah. And in terms of the distance, the, the theory I had heard was you take your five iron distance Multiply it by 36, and that's what you should be playing in terms of an overall course distance.
1: Yeah, I think it's good.
0: It, you know, and, and again, that adds up if you're hitting it, you know, 170 with a five iron, that ends up being about a 6,000 yard course. So yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's sense. a perfect fit. In uh, of course, recently we saw Bryson DeChambeau dominate the U.S. Open. Yeah. Uh, combining power, strategy, but maybe the most important thing was he had a will that he's going to play his game, earning his first major. Obviously, the old golf world is up in arms because they just don't see why you should be changing the approach to the sport. But there is a lot more going on there than just somebody that was raring back and hitting it as far as he could. There's He knew where he could miss and then how to play from those spots.
1: But there's lots of things with Bryson that are so brilliant that get missed in the media hype around this kind of bubble of, Hates a strong word, but the media like to put this bubble of controversy around him that your casual golf fan will happily dial into that kind of negative connotations, if you like. Um, I don't know a golf coach who's worth their soul, who isn't so excited about what Brighton's doing, because it just shows what us as coaches can do for someone who's got the drive Mm -hmm. to be better. Where before... Coaching, certainly on tour ranges, has been so much about, like, you see it, I see it for you, you know, hitting certain positions on the range, and then that player goes out, and that coach is hoping that they have a good round, and that they hit these field positions that, that kind of getting uh, getting their ball flight in place, where Bryson's just said, Bryson was 12th in strokes gained in 2018 off the tee, 12th. He wasn't a bad driver. He no. was a world-class driver in 2018. He was 12th in strokes gained. So you're taking someone who's really, really good and could win a major. He'd won the USM. He had the game to win a major, but he went, no, I'm going to flip this on its head and go for it. Cause I don't want to be 12. I want to be number one in strokes gained for driver. And he made himself one of the best drivers of the ball in the world. That, can only be saluted and we can only be impressed with that and I scratch my head how people seem to want to be negative towards him and that I've met the guy years ago he's one of the nicest guys I've ever filmed with um, and and it's so funny as well because it's not a new game Tiger did it Nicholas did it. Nicholas hit it further than anybody generally on tour. That's why he was able to dominate. He was... I mean, look at pictures of Nicholas. I mean, I've been to his home course. I filmed there last year. There's pictures of him 17, 18 on the wall. His legs are bigger than my body. Like, the guy was a natural, massive athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, Bryson's made himself bigger. Nicholas was a huge guy. Um, And he did bomb the ball, Miles. So... there. it's nothing new that what Bryson is doing. I honestly think golf just got itself a little bit lost. I think it got itself a little bit stuck in the position swing world and not really understanding what Nicholas and then what Tiger did. It's it's stats and the collection of, of um stats on the PJ Tour that's allowed the smart coaches to get smarter yet again with data and take that information and help people like Bryson achieve what the stats just blatantly show they need to achieve, which is to send that ball further with similar accuracies and similar strategies of success with short game. And like his scrambling and putting numbers are great. People don't mm-hmm. give him the credit for those. No. Um, he, he's just done what all sports people would want to do, which is improve themselves within the rules to the best that they can be. And, I'm hoping that he believes he can be the best in the world, which I know he would. And he's trying to be it. Like, how can we not salute that? It just baffles me personally.
0: And it really boils down to something that you deal with with amateurs, with every amateur golfer should really understand, is that he created a game that fit him, that fit how he, who he is, how he swings, everything else. And that's what everyone should be doing starting with their clubs get fit even if it's just a lie adjustment it's going to improve you let alone if you go and 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 get a complete set of clubs built to your specs the the point is that as i've tried to show for years doing my equipment talks there's no best club out there
1: nope. there's no worst club out there, <laughs> there there's just the there's just the best club for you Three people came for a, three people came to test the brand new driver today. That's not released yet. Yes, all three of them hit the brand new driver further. It wasn't that the brand new driver goes further. I just found their launch window that the other three drivers weren't hitting. Mm-hmm. So the ball speeds were actually the same on all three drivers. They hit. There one to two of the ones I've got. The ball speeds did not change. There was no super fast, springy, amazing faces. There was no right. aerodynamic super improvements the ball speeds were the same they were in a one mile average of each other, but all three of the people came i was able to get the newer driver to go further because i could set the club around what they brought right. to a launch window that maxed out what they put in and i just thought what are you guys doing like custom fitting is available it's been available for years how are you not hitting that launch window now you know like and that Brighton sums it. He's hitting whatever launch window he wants. And he's realized it he doesn't go far enough. So he's going to change his physical being and then hit a different launch window because he's now faster and max out. It's like there's so many cheap gains for golfers out there by getting a good fit. Like so many. Like these were three random people. There, all three of them. I got them hitting it. I think the shortest was seven yards extra carry. hmm it was pure not they weren't any faster, full speed, no difference. I just got their launch down and the spin changed as the launch came down because they were all in it too eye. Um and it went further. I just thought, wow, you'd like, that was an art. Why have you been playing with a driver that just pops it in the air like that?
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 just that extra step of going from just buying something to actually having it tuned a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. it's been a record breaking summer of golf here in the United States. I mean sales numbers in July and August just blowing out uh previous years records. Looking ahead, where do you see the physical and maybe the virtual, the online world of golf colliding? I mean do, where do you see things going in the future?
1: Okay, so I mean I think obviously content is still going to be very much king. It's still what people really are wanting to dial into. Um I do think we need to see a good shift in TV TV needs a proper shift forwards in my opinion for golf um, just watching the US open on prime, Amazon prime in the US in the UK so the US open tennis uh, it was on Amazon Prime in the UK. I could pick any court I could watch any match, mm-hmm. different commentators. It, it was how I consume. And then obviously it's all saved for afterwards. So I can come in at 11 at night, which is obviously a different time in New York and just watch whatever games that have been pre-recorded and put up. And I just thought this is how I want to consume um, my media, sports or otherwise. And then my kids will watch Amazon Prime. So if they wanted to, there is tennis. They're now in front of them. They could choose to watch right. it. They cannot choose to watch golf in the UK because it's locked behind a paywall that we're not paying for because it's got no other content on it. Um, it's I, I, I honestly think that the golf world would love to see a bit of a shift in commentary, in how it does itself relative to terrestrial telly, what we call compared to online activities. One thing, the Masters is coming in November. The Masters app, out of all the apps, is probably the best app Mm-hmm. where you can almost follow the golf without having to watch it on the app it's amazing shot by shot um collection it's instant um it maps out the course it's just really really good
0: no and and, and say in that vein you don't even need much of a commentary so much as maybe somebody that's with a group that's following just to say you don't realize this but this is really deep, rough, or we're looking at a 30, 30 foot incline, or, or something along those lines. But otherwise, just let the play speak for itself. I, I've I talked to when we had the earlier uh, when when things were shut down, and there was the exhibition matches, uh, yes. Seminole and, and 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 in Jupiter, where there are great boom mics that'll capture all the sounds that miking up players do. Mm-mm-mm. If people would just be quiet and listen.
1: Yeah, 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 and the other thing as well is that if you're able to jump around on holes, there'd be no commentary that would jump with you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think the, the commentary idea works for the core golf audience. So you know, you've got your core golfers who play golf and watch golf, and they want to know what the what Faldo's got to say or whatever's what to say that call. Cool. Like that, that's there for them. But right. your your bigger audience who don't want to consume golf for two hours or four hours in an evening they just want to like flick around go at that i mean i didn't watch one shot of the us open on a tv i'm using the app i'm using twitter i'm using instagram and i'm following it shot for shot i don't need for me personally who struggles with half the stuff the commentators say because generally it's full of cliche and it's misleading i don't need them speaking for me um i just want to know what they're shooting on each hole i can click and see how far they've hit it and where they've hit it on the map on the app and that's good enough for me to follow i do think the way golf is consumed definitely is is due a good old shake up i don't think it'll happen because tv generally is a little stuck in its ways and it's got so much Issues with compliance and stuff like that because there's sponsors paying big amounts of money and they can't wear and say certain things. It's always about, you know, it's the ultimate TV is always like the ultimate. Um, I always think it's the, like live sport TV. It's the ultimate say nothing because if you say something or show an opinion, it's going to upset some sponsor or someone and they don't want to do that. So what you get is candy flops. You don't get anything aware. There are some great voices on Twitter watching, and you just listen and join in with them is much more entertaining way, I think, of consuming the golf at the moment.
0: The funny thing is when you talk about the the commentary, I I still get lost in the fact that if somebody pulls out something that's not a driver and not an iron, it must be a metal wood. (laughs) And they still don't grasp the fact that there are hybrids out there that a lot of players are using. And they don't even know how to refer to a hybrid. They're like, that's some sort of rescue club. I think he's pulling out there. And it's like, my gosh, these have been out for well over 10 years. They're, they're pretty accepted tools now.
1: There's no desire in the media to stay ahead of the game, unfortunately, mm-hmm. as in there is in production, their production is obviously second and none TV put the most money in the production is impressive, like the camera work, from using the phantom cameras to the overheads to the graphics, no one's going to beat that unless you invest a lot of money. The information that they are giving out, basically, I've worked around those kind of medias. Um, And the producers aren't golfers, so they don't understand if what the commentator is saying is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. The commentator is the authority on what should be said so the producer will listen to the commentator. But no one is rating the commentator because they don't have they have ex-golfers on. And at the moment, there's not one ex-golfer sat in those studios who plays or understands any of what Bryson has done. This US Open has been a classic example of a number of commentators saying that won't work, that won't work. When there are plenty of people that I talk to daily, good coaches around the world who are just going, he's going to win a major this year. He's going to win a major this year. He's going to win a major because they're getting it. They get it. Um, It's not as if that information isn't out there. When my experience of the people on telly is that they're on telly. So they've made it. And then they almost stop trying. They think that Mm -hmm. it's like telly is the pedestal that puts them in a position of power where Unfortunately, telly is a high percentage of very poor info. There's some great ones. I mean, I don't watch the American commentary much, obviously, but people like Frank Nobolo is really trying to push forward and stay Mm -hmm. current. But I just feel like he's in the minority of voices. It's a shame. You've got a guy there who's really trying to make sure he's not looking like a buffoon on TV. But there are plenty of others who are just happy to say what they used to say when they played in the 80s and 90s, really. And it's, I don't know. I
0: struggle with that. No, I I do too. And I don't have nearly the golf knowledge you do. So I I can only imagine. Uh, I always like to wrap up conversations here on the range by taking you into the way back machine. And is there a club or maybe a piece of golf technology that jumps out at you that gives you extra warm feelings or you think really made a difference in your game or the game in general?
1: okay well I mean, the, for me it would be my launch monitor was the big massive game changer for me in my profession and then also in content i was a very early uptaker of the launch one. i had my launch monitor only in the uk a long time before they were very mass you know like everyone was having them um so that would be my real take home at the moment it's my swing catalyst 3d force plate which there's only two or three of them in this country and it's giving me some amazing insights into how people uh, are using the ground and creating power or not it gives me such a powerful tools to help people hit the ball further with not much effort to be fair it's interesting but uh, golf clubs i did it recently we did a, we did a, i did a video i don't know how long a couple of months ago back called my driver history where i got every one of my drivers that i had ever game through my life to see where the big jump was in distance and there was definitely a jump in the great big bertha from the Warbird, one that I remember when I was playing, like, wow, wow. hit a shot, thinking, no, I have not seen a ball fly like that before, because it was noticeably longer in the length of the shaft, and then it gave you the bigger head, so you could feel like you could swing it faster and all the rest of it. Um, so I, I Callaway, the old Callaway great big bertha era is like, that was, that was that was the kind of granddaddy or grandma of where clubs accelerated to because right. w- before that it was literally clubs the club market was just static it was just mm-hmm. literally apart from ping who were doing stuff with irons but were obviously much more chilled with their woods um i think that was one of those one of those moments for me as a golfer that stood out like wow uh, the ball change would have been a big one but i wasn't playing golf when the ball changed It's quite interesting i competed using a ballata and then I coached for four or five years not really playing like once a year at the most in that time and obviously the ball changed um and then when I came back it was like well, yeah that's different Where (laughs) so I wasn't there when it actually just jumped overnight like Mm -hmm. I talked to some tour pros who changed the ball and overnight it was 25 yards further it was like that just that changed um so yeah i for me for me though personally it's my coaching tech that just allows me to just look inside the student deeper in a more measured way that excites me
0: it's been a pleasure talking with you your success online is very well documented but to me the biggest win is got to be knowing that you've made golf more enjoyable for people really around the world so thank you so much for joining me
1: very kind thank you for having me thanks for uh, yeah it's been fun enjoyed it
0: That was Mark Crossfield, and if you go to YouTube, heck, you may be here now, and you love golf, you have almost certainly seen some of his work. What you learn most, in my view, is that golf is for everyone, and everyone's golf game is a bit individual. That's good. We should make it our own. Before we go, the latest information from Golf Data Tech is truly encouraging for the game. Now, back in April, total rounds played here in the U.S. was down 42%, and the number of rounds played for the year was 16% lower than in 2019. We all know the game has rebounded, and making tee times can be tough. Why? Well, get these numbers. In August, total rounds played were up over 20% across the country. The numbers are staggering, because that means 10 million more rounds were played in August alone. All regions experienced double digit growth, but Texas saw ridiculous increases with 39% year to year rounds played growth. That's amazing. Florida enjoyed a 37% increase, and Arizona rose 31%. And get this now, through eight months, 2020 rounds are over 6% higher than they were in 2019 so they have rebounded big time now will these players continue with the game only time will tell but with the dramatic increase in equipment sales many more players are not just hitting the course but also committing to the game whether it's buying new gear or just upgrading it's a good time for the industry and as i have said before a healthy golf industry is a great thing for us all If you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight for the latest on the range. Follow us on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. On Instagram, it's at The Golf Spotlight. We welcome your comments there any time. You've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. Now, that'll do it for this episode of The Range. So let's hit the course, or if it's nighttime, entertain yourself with some videos from Mark Crossfield, or you can go to the Golf Spotlight as well. We'll talk to you next time, though, right here on The Range. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,